From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones, the host of 7am. As Minister for Defence, Brendan Nelson controversially spent $6.6 billion on Boeing fighter jets. Now he's running the company's Australian division. In this episode, Mike Seckham looks at the links between our government and the global weapons trade. Mike, you covered Brendan Nelson during the Howard years. Can you tell me what he was like? He was as different from John Howard as it would be possible to find in the Liberal Party, I think you could say. You know, Howard was dour. Nelson was all charm. He rode motorcycles. He had a diamond stud in his ear. He loved electric guitars. Mike Sackham is the Saturday Paper's national correspondent. And for the guitar tragics out there, he was a Fender man. He got a Stratocaster for his 50th birthday. And he was known around the Parliament as Dr Smoothie. (laughs) Why was he known as that? Just because he was so smooth. I mean, he was smooth as a gravy sandwich. I mean, he was just uh, all smiles and twinkles, you know. He was definitely a charmer. So that was what he was like personally. In the Howard government, he filled a number of ministerial portfolios. He was Minister for Health and generally considered to have done a reasonably good job in that role. Uh, Then he became Minister for Defence and uh, was not considered generally so favourably. One of the most controversial decisions during his tenure as Defence Minister was the decision to spend $6.6 billion purchasing a fleet of 24 Super Hornet jets from Boeing. That was back in 2007. Why was that controversial? Well, the purchase of the Super Hornets was very controversial because it was done against the advice of the Australian Air Chiefs, the, the military people. And one of the the retired air commanders, Gary Bates, described it at the time as unprecedented in contemporary defence procurement for the the minister to overrule the uh, the departmental experts in this way. And at the time, a lot of reports suggested that Nelson had uh, been subject to a very concerted lobbying effort from Boeing and that perhaps that had something to do with it. Uh, so, so anyway, that 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 was his time in defence, and then uh, after leaving politics, he uh, he went off to a diplomatic life for a while, became our ambassador to Belgium, Luxembourg, the European Union, and uh, and significantly to NATO. So he maintained some kind of a defence connection through the the NATO ambassadorship, and then in 2012 he came back and became director of the Australian War Memorial, a position that he held until the end of 2019. So can you take me to Brendan Nelson's time at the War Memorial? Well, he he took the role very seriously and came in with big plans, you know, to expand the buildings, to have bigger exhibitions, made a big thing of playing the last post every day, became very sombre about the whole thing and and quite serious, and he brought in a lot of money. He uh, greatly accelerated the sponsorship arrangements for the War Memorial from lots of companies, but most controversially from... Defence, weapons makers. And, you know, there have been quite a number of critics of this over the years suggesting that to have weapons manufacturers sponsoring the War Memorial is, you know, a little like a tobacco company sponsoring a cancer institute. You know, these people sell the products that kill and then subsidise memorials to the dead. So it was uh, very, very much criticised over the years and continued to be right up until the end. And, in fact, this played out again not long before his time came to an end at the War Memorial, where he appeared before a Defence Estimates Committee. The new Greens representative on the committee, Senator Jordan Steelejohn, came in and confessed his, quote, great surprise, unquote, to learn that the War Memorial took money from the makers of military weapons. 
The Australian public are currently unable to tell exactly how much uh, corporate weapons manufacturers are contributing to the maintenance of our national war memorial. And he asked Nelson exactly how much had been given during the seven years of his tenure in the job. And Nelson replied that he didn't know for sure. And to quote him, it varies between $300,000 to $500,000 a year. And then said he wasn't aware of the specific total sum, but would take it on notice. So which companies were these donations coming from? I think about six of the top 10 weapons manufacturers in the world were donating substantial sums to the the War Memorial. In the Estimates Committee, Nelson name-checked only a couple of them. I can tell you certainly that since I first arrived, uh, Boeing has contributed a million uh, in total. Lockheed Martin has contributed a million. He went on at much greater length about Boeing. He praised them effusively for putting in $500,000 that had enabled the War Memorial to mount an exhibition about Australia's troops' involvement in Afghanistan. And then he ended slightly slightly defensively, I would suggest, um, that, quote, not a single person had criticised Boeing's involvement. And so what was the reaction from everyone in the estimates hearing to that? Well, Jordan Steele, John, was clearly furious about this sort of free advertising of these companies. I personally find the involvement of weapons manufacturers in the memorial to be morally repugnant. And as soon as he said that, there was an immediate pile-on from other people on the committee. Really disrespectful. I'm really sorry, but... I'm with you, Joe. Yeah, I just find it really just disrespectful. Just celebrate the memorial. Uh, one of the Liberal members, Senator David Van called Steel John's views repugnant three three separate times. Those Your who views are repugnant. Those also shouted that they were rubbish. The dead. Oh, rubbish. That is not and the committee chair, Erica Betts, hastened to assure Nelson that, quote, everyone here, unquote, disagreed with what uh, the Green senator had to say. And then there was this sort of series of statements of praise for Nelson from both Coalition and Labor members of the committee. As inadequate as it is, on behalf of us all, Dr Nelson, to you and your team, but particularly to you... Before Abetz wound the whole thing up by inviting all present to join in a round of applause for Nelson, um, given that it was his last appearance before the committee. And because thank you is inadequate, can I suggest we put our hands together? So, Mike, why are we talking about this now? Because just three weeks after that, a week ago, Brendan Nelson was announced as the new president and chairman of the board of Boeing Australia, New Zealand and South Pacific. We'll be back after this. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship, and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. 
So, Mike, Brendan Nelson, who bought $6.6 billion worth of Boeing fighter jets when he was the defence minister and took money from Boeing um, when he was at the War Memorial, he is now the president of Boeing Australia. How significant is that job? Well, um, when most people think about Boeing, I suspect they think about passenger jets, you know, like the... uh, the, the 747 and all the other enormous fleet that they run with various airlines around the world. But they're actually the world's second biggest defence weapons manufacturer as well. And they flog weaponry all over the globe. And the Australian subsidiary, which Nelson is now heading up, is the largest division of Boeing outside the US. It employs more people in Australia than anywhere except the United States. So it's pretty significant. So compared with other countries, is Australia heavily into arms manufacturing? Well, we would like to be. I think we're inside the top 20 now. The government would like us to be inside the top 10. And it didn't always used to be the case. I mean, Australia has always made weapons. But in the past, we were very circumspect about who we would sell them to. I spoke to Paul Barrett, who's a former head of the Defence Department, who told me that early in his time in the public service, in the government bureaucracy, they were very leery of the the global arms trade. And while Australia manufactured some weapons... We wouldn't sell them to anyone, essentially, except our our closest allies, the Brits, the Americans, the Canadians, the New Zealanders, perhaps a little bit to some of the NATO people. But we certainly didn't flog them to um, Africa or Asia because of concerns about where they might end up and how they might be used. And that's changed now? or? Oh, that's changed dramatically, yes. In January in 2018, then Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull unveiled a new defence export strategy, in inverted commas, which was underwritten with a 3.8 billion, with a B, export facility to finance Australian manufacturers and help them sell overseas. What we're talking about this morning is Australian jobs and Australian innovation and Australian technology and ensuring that the brilliance of the men and women in this building and many others like it around Australia results in more exports of our defence industry products. So now, when Australia's defence manufacturers want to try and flog their weapons, the Australian government goes off to arms fairs, sets up stalls, helps with marketing. All they have to do, all, all the weapons manufacturers have to do essentially is buy their tickets, go over there and give their presentations. And the government even helps coach them on how they should present. So it's very, very hand in glove with the defence industry in Australia. And, uh, and we will go anywhere in the world, basically, to try and sell our weaponry. So um, anyway, at the time he was launching it, Turnbull lamented that Australia only, in inverted commas, sold between $1.5 and $2.5 billion worth of military kit overseas per year. And now, of course, we're trying to get into the top 10 arms trading nations. And to be honest, in the past financial year, we've roughly trebled the amount we're selling overseas. It's up to around... $5 billion, very close to $5 billion. So the weapons that we're selling, do we know where they're going? We don't have much clue, to be honest, no. The, the government is extraordinarily secretive about where they're going. We know that in 2018-19, there were 100 export permits granted relating to weapons to go to Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Sri Lanka, the Democratic Republic of Congo. All these countries are very dubious. They've been accused of war crimes. Saudi Arabia in particular, as we know, is is now engaged in uh, combat in Yemen, which has cost a large number of lives and has been roundly criticised and has seen a number of other nations suspend their armament sales. That hasn't happened in this country. So what does it matter that Brendan Nelson is now running one of these big companies? Well, it goes to the question of the closeness of 
politicians and the defence industry uh, and what we expect of our public officials. I mean, in general, we, we have um, prohibitions, not very strong ones, but cooling off periods that are supposed to stop former politicians using their contacts to lobby for private sector employers after politics. You know, Nelson obviously has been out of politics per se for a long time, but he's been in the, you know, what you might call the, the industrial military political complex throughout. And so he serves as a very interesting case study of the way in which defence manufacturers seek to curry political favour by employing former senior politicians. You know, and we shouldn't just pick on Nelson either. I mean, there are quite a number of them. Kim Beasley, the former Labor leader, former Australian ambassador to the United States, went on the board of Lockheed Martin, the world's biggest defence manufacturer, in June in 2016. And then uh, he left to become governor of Western Australia, and he was replaced by a liberal former minister, Amanda Vanstone, with no background in the defence portfolio, I might add. So you can see that politicians, former politicians and the defence industry are very much hand in glove these days, and there's a lot of them. I mean, a former leader of the Liberal Party, Andrew Peacock, once had the role that, that Brendan Nelson has now heading Boeing. As someone told me, Peacock knew a great deal about racehorses, but not much about defence. So the question is, why was he there? And then, of course, there are people who actually do know quite a lot about defence, and they're making the jump too. Like who? Well, the recently retired Chief of Defence, Air Chief Marshal David Binscombe, parachuted into a job with BAE, the big British weapons manufacturer. The former Army Chief, Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lay, found a place uh, on the board of EOS Systems, an Australian firm that we know was exporting weapons to the United Arab Emirates, which is a, another country that's been accused of war crimes. So there's a big, big revolving door. Jordan Steele, John, called it a bloodstained revolving door between the public and private sectors in this area. What's your view on this, Mike? Well, I think that we have a ministerial code of conduct that governs post-separation careers. It's very weak. That code needs to be much more rigorous. There should be much stronger constraints on their post-public sector careers, particularly in defence, because the global weapons trade is so notoriously corrupt. We need to regulate these things much more carefully because it, it really is um, fraught with the possibilities of corruption and people dying. Thanks so much for your time today, Mike. No problem. Thank you. Join Richard Tognetti and the ACO for a bold and intrepid 2022. Featuring a live national concert season, their acclaimed on-demand film series ACO Studio Casts, and exciting programs from their new home in Sydney's Walsh Bay. Subscriptions now on sale at aco.com.au. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth, with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. 
Elsewhere in the news, a whistleblower in Bridget McKenzie's office has revealed that the sports minister's chief of staff was warned that the controversial sports grant scheme could damage the government. McKenzie's administration of the scheme was heavily criticised in an Auditor General's report. According to the whistleblower, the minister's chief of staff responded to concerns by saying, this is how the minister wants to do it. And anti-violence campaigners have spoken out against the decision to appoint author and activist Bettina Arndt to the Order of Australia. In 2017, Arndt interviewed a convicted pedophile for a segment that she called Feminist Persecute Disgrace Teacher. Former Australian of the Year Rosie Batty has said she's dismayed by the decision to reward work that pits men against women. I'm Ruby Jones. See you tomorrow.